We're, we're going to continue our study in, uh, in 1 Timothy, but I'm glad that you're here with us tonight. Open, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and read with me, if you would, starting in verse 13. Now, Paul's speaking about himself, that the Lord counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry. Now he's speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul was a poster child, I guess you would say. He, was, he would have been an, a prime example of the grace of God. He knew it. He understood it. He was a recipient of the mercy and grace of God. And his life was forever changed by that. And God actually set him forth. I think he sets us all forth as patterns of that. But very notably in the world. The Apostle Paul, who formerly was Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, the Lord set forth to be an example of the grace of God. Here's what God's grace can do, right? His life was to be that. It wasn't arrogant at all. It was humble, showing what the Lord can do. And so in verse 13, and we talked about this, we closed with this last week, Paul calls himself three things before he came to Jesus. His B.C. days, his before Christ days, he was before a blasphemer, that's a railer. Now, I don't honestly believe that Paul was a cursor, that, you know, he cursed and got drunk and just was wild. This was not his life. He was a religious uh, zealot. He was religious zealot and very faithful to that religion the way he saw it. He was not walking in the truth, but the way he thought, what he thought was truth, he walked in that. And so he, he calls himself, though, a blasphemer a persecutor and injurious. And those three words actually intensify in the Greek. The, the persecutor is more wicked than the, the blasphemer and injurious is more wicked than the two before. But he was all three. A persecutor is the, the, the picture that's given is someone that, that would chase like you would pursue an animal. Like you're chasing down an animal to hunt them and kill them. That's a persecutor, okay? He, he was active in it. He was adamant in it, and injurious actually means despiteful. This was the cream, uh, put the icing on the cake. He not only did these things like someone would do it as a job, he did it with a zeal. He did it with a personal satisfaction in doing it. And so uh, Paul could actually, or Saul of Tarsus at that time, actually persecuted the church of the living God, the church of Christ, with a clear conscience. Believe it or not, he did. He was wrong. He was in sin. He's not making excuses for his sins. But in his mindset, he was persecuting the church, thinking he was doing God's service. The Bible tells us that. Okay, I'm going to read two scriptures. Keep your spot there and turn with me to Acts chapter 26. So this is Paul um, sharing his testimony. God, God brought him from place to place, and he was able to, every time he was shuffled from prison to prison, God, God, God had a bigger plan. It was an opportunity for Paul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ before lots of people. And so in Acts chapter 26, before Agrippa, he's sharing his testimony once again. 
Look at verse 9. This was his mindset before he came to know Christ. I verily thought with myself, this was his mindset, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also I did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So this was, this was Saul of Tarsus. Okay, this was not the Apostle Paul. This was Saul of Tarsus before the grace of God made him what he was. Amen? And so uh, he thought he was doing God's service. If he could have persecuted more, he would have persecuted more. God cut it short by saving him on that road to Damascus. I'm going to just read a verse. You don't need to turn there, but in Acts 23, 1, Paul, Paul earnestly beholding the council, this was his defense before the Sanhedrin, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. There again, he persecuted the church with a clear conscience. I think so many people today, and sinners of sin, and we talked, we kind of closed last week with this, but there are those that know they're in sin and like it and just want to stay there, okay? They love their sin, and they don't want any, anybody to wake them up or bother them with anything about righteous living or turning to Christ. They enjoy it. They want to stay right there, and, and so they're not with a clean conscience. They they know they're offending God, and they're just hoping somehow to prolong the inevitable, okay? But then there are those like Paul who honestly thought with all of his heart, he would have been one of the most sincere people you could ever meet as he's persecuting Christians and hauling them out of the synagogue, compelling them to renounce Christ, throwing them to prison and so forth. He was the one that when <coughs> Stephen, of course, the first martyr in the New Testament, um, was preaching the gospel to the Jews, and they were, they were stoned Stephen, and they laid their coats. They took them off so they could throw better. They took their coats off and laid them at the feet of, of young Saul of Tarsus, okay? He was consenting to their death all along the way, to the death of Christians. And so, but he was doing it with a clear conscience. That is one very good example to me in the Bible that sincerity is not enough, and you'll hear people say that, well, as long as they're sincere. If the Buddhist is sincere and lives by those dictates of his own conscience and is, is true to that, then God will accept that. As long as they are sincere. Sincerity never got anyone to heaven. Jesus gets people to heaven. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and cleanses us. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth, having the truth, walking in the truth, that's where we're born again, and we pass from death to life. That is our entrance and our righteousness to, to fit us for heaven. Sincerity is not it. Jesus didn't die for sincere people. He died for sinners to come to him and know him. Amen? And so he persecuted the church with a clear conscience. He was, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. And then he says, at the end of that, we'll turn back to 1 Timothy. He says, but I obtained mercy. Okay, so we're going to talk about the mercy of God for just a moment. But I obtained mercy because I did it 
ignorantly in unbelief. And so, God, we talked about this last week. God is always merciful, but everyone does not benefit to the extent they could from the mercy of God. Every, everyone does not obtain mercy. That means to really receive it. Same for the grace of God. God's gracious to men that, that, that shake their little puny fist at God and, and rebel against him. He's merciful because he gives them another day. He gives them another. He may be given good health. He may bless their family. You understand what I'm saying? He's merciful. He, is, he sends people to bring the gospel to them. But they don't obtain the mercy of God because they just refuse it and stay in their sin. Okay? They refuse it. But Paul says, I obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, he is not saying, he is not saying that uh, his ignorance was an excuse for his sin. He's not saying that. He does not hide behind his ignorance and say, well, I just didn't know. Um, he is saying that it was just a fact. He did his persecuting of the church ignorantly and unbelief, and God was merciful to him. He doesn't use it as an excuse, nor, nor should we. Paul does not uh, use his ignorance or unbelief and, and lessen to try to lessen his guilt, nor does the Lord. The ignorance that he had as he persecuted Christ's church, Jesus actually said, He's perse you're pe persecuting me, Saul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? When, when, we, when someone touches the Lord's body and touches the, the body of Christ, the Christians, we're per, they're actually persecuting Christ, okay? That's how he said it. And he, he's not lessening, his guilt is not lessened because that, of his ignorance. But it does show the long-suffering of the Lord. The long-suffering of the Lord and the mercy of God. So let's look at verse 14. So 1 Timothy 1, 14 and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So he just spoke of mercy. Mercy is simply saying that Paul did not receive the punishment that he deserved. I mean, I'm just putting it in, in layman's terms, okay? Mercy is, we, we preached on it a couple of weeks ago, the mercy of God. But it, it's compassion and tenderhearted love. It's all of the kindness. But really, Paul is saying, I did not get from God what I deserved from God, which was the punishment, okay? He did not receive that from the Lord. He received instead grace, okay? And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant on, upon Paul. He says in verse 14, exceeding abundant simply means super abounding. It would have been super extraordinary. This is the definition. Infinite is what he says. And isn't that what the Bible teaches? The Bible says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Always, wherever the depth of our sin can take us, God can still meet us there and get under us and lift us back up. However far away we go in sin, his grace will reach that far and then further. However far we go. And so that's what he's saying. His grace was super, extraordinary, abundant upon me. And Paul says, and we know the scripture very well, that he says, but by the grace of God, what? I am what I am. And he says, and his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. People forget the rest of that scripture. Yes, we all are what we are. We are what we are by the grace of God. That is a supernatural enabling. It is the, uh, the influence of Almighty God 
the divine influence upon a heart is really what grace means. We say unmerited favor, but the real definition is the divine influence upon a heart. And it's a supernatural enabling, okay, from God. It's a favor from God. And Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, but in a, he didn't receive the grace of God in vain. But he says, by the grace of God, he says, I labor more abundantly than they all. But it's really not me. He says, it's the grace of God that's with me. So Paul did not refuse or minimize the grace of God. And it can be. God's grace can be received in vain. God's grace can be received uh, in vain, which would be pointless, empty. And that the, the Bible admonishes us, Paul admonishes us, either in First and Second Corinthians, that we not receive the grace of God in vain. And if, if grace is as wonderful as we say it is, and the Bible says it is, and it is, okay, then that is a mighty thing from God, a mighty favor and enabling from the Lord, a mighty influence from Almighty God to sinful men. We ought not let that slip. We ought not be careless with that. We ought not neglect that. Paul didn't refuse the grace of God. Paul didn't neglect the grace of God. Paul didn't minimize the grace of God. He was a preacher of Christ. And he was a preacher of this gospel of grace. Okay, he preached it and believed it, and he was a living example. Now, grace, in one sense, is grace, but grace, we can see it in the, how it benefits men in different ways. They're saving grace, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, right? Saving grace. It's really the same grace, but we see grace, the grace of God to deliver, maybe to deliver us from a trial or a temptation or a sin, sin, besetting sin, or maybe from the hand of a strong enemy. It's the grace of God to deliver us, right? Still the same grace. And we also see grace to serve. And this is what the Apostle Paul specifically is talking about. If you're in your Bible in 1 Timothy, look back at verse 12, which we touched on last week. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me. That means he put power into me. For that he could counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so there was grace for grace upon Paul to serve. And true salvation, I want to just make a point about this for a moment tonight. True salvation is always going to be followed. I don't know exactly when, but very closely, okay, true salvation is going to be followed by true service to God. If people are truly saved, truly saved, they are going to serve the Lord in some capacity. They're going to be looking for ways to serve God they're going to be sharing his gospel. They're going to be serving. We're ministers of this gospel. We're ministers of reconciliation. A minister is a servant. And I can tell you this, that the Lord did not save anybody. He didn't save one single sinner to have that sinner, then that saved sinner now sit by idly and do nothing. He saved us to know him, of course, walk with him, love him, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. But he called us and saved us to serve him. We have a very short window. It doesn't seem like it. Days seem long, and especially if something's unpleasant or you're sick or whatever, you're waiting for something. It seems like such a long period of time. But our life on earth is short. It's very brief. And that life is to be used for the glory of God. And he did not save any, not one of us, that he saved out of our sin so we would sit on the sideline idly by. 
Every single person that he's saved, he has commissioned into his service. We're servants of the Most High God. It's not just the Apostle Paul. We're to serve the Lord. Uh, the Bible says faith without works is dead. And so he enables us by his grace. And if he calls us to do it, he will absolutely equip us to do it. Amen. I've seen, I've looked around this church and I've seen people that did not. I've seen in the past years, never that I saw, maybe stood up and, and opened in prayer or taught a Sunday school class or something like this. And now, or sung a song, you know, or something in, in church and have seen, have seen that. Or people that never, that I saw, went out publicly and shared the gospel. It's a wonderful thing. Whatever he calls us to do, he equips us to do. And that's just, that's just the goodness of our God. That's that enabling grace. God's counted me faithful, enabling me and putting me into the ministry. He's not going to put us out there unable. He's going to fill us by, with his Holy Spirit and enable us for what he's called us to do. But I promise you, he's called us to serve him. Amen. We're called to serve the Lord. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all accept, acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so this, this one, right, when he says that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. This is the singular purpose for which Christ came to, into the world. We don't have to be confused about it. And I've heard, you know, uh, you've heard it, and, and people that are, well, G Jesus was a good man. Jesus showed us a better way. Jesus showed us how to rebel against religious authority. Jesus was here to promote social justice. Jesus was here to show us love. And, and all these different things. The Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. Who is everybody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The religious sinner and the wicked, you know, uh, rebellious sinner over here. He came to save us. Five times Paul uses that phrase, he came to save sinners. Five times he uses that phrase. So what does it mean that this is a faithful saying? The faithful saying, it literally means it's a faithful word. It means it's a faithful doctrine. And then we say this is the main, one of the main themes, if not the main theme, of the pastoral epistles, right? First, Second Timothy and Titus is the, the sound doctrine, sound doctrine, okay, good doctrine. This is a faithful doctrine is another way to translate that correctly. This is a faithful doctrine, and, and it means uh, it's assuredly true. That's what it means. I'll just read this from Second Timothy. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. It's a faithful saying. He's saying it's assuredly true. This is sound doctrine. That's what he's saying. What I'm, what's about to follow is sound doctrine. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. All right, amen? And so uh, it's a faithful word, and it's worthy of all acceptation. What does that mean, that it's worthy of all acceptation? It literally means it's worthy to be accepted by all. So think about it for just a second. It's worthy to be accepted of all. In other words, this, this statement that Christ Jesus came into the world. Also, he uses the word Christ Jesus. He uses it often. That speaks of the deity of the Lord, both Son of God and Son of Man. Christ, 
the Lord, the Messiah, the promised one, God in the flesh, and Jesus, you know, incarnate, the man, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says this doctrine is sound, and it's worthy for all to accept, accept it. Christ is wor- it's worthy to be believed. It's worthy to be embraced. The gospel of Jesus Christ is worthy to be embraced by all. And so uh, you've heard it before that, that say, for, for a Calvinist or someone that, that uh, believes in salvation uh, strictly by the election of God, that, that Christ only came to save those that he predestined for salvation. He didn't really come, nor did he shed his blood for all, nor did he make atonement for all. He really just came for those that he was going to save. I want to read a scripture to you. When he says worthy of all acceptation, it means he's worthy to be accepted by all. This sound doctrine is worthy to be accepted by all men. I'll just read this. If you're taking notes, it's 1 John 2, 2. And it says, uh, he is, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's a clear scripture, right? He, he died for all. He died for all. He was propitiation is an atoning victim. It's the price that was paid, an atoning victim. The sins of us all were laid upon Christ. The just died for the unjust, the sinless for the sinner. The Lamb of God who was slain, he was killed. He was killed for our sins. He's the atoning victim, okay? And it says that he came... He, he is the propitiation for our sins, John says, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know the whole world's not saved. We know the whole world's not going to be saved. Every man, woman, and child that lives and dies and has lived and died and is going to live and die is not going to be saved. But the price for their sins was paid so that all can come as worthy of all acceptation Worthy to be accepted by all, this doctrine or this truth. It's not limited atonement. Christ died for all. Amen? So we are all saved identically the same way. You know how we're saved? You might have been saved in vacation Bible school. You might have been saved at a revival service. You might have been saved when your parents shared the gospel with you and you knelt down by your bed. But we're all saved identically. That, that sounds different, but we're all saved the same way, by faith. By faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. By faith in the Lord and his finished work. Now Paul says at the end of verse 15. And I want to spend a few minutes on this. After he says that this faithful saying. Christ came to save sinners. And then he says of whom I am chief. What does he mean? Chief of sinners. He's talking right there. He's, he's highlighting his own sinful life. And uh, we see this with the apostle Paul. That again, he was what, what he was by the grace of God, but he highlights his sin. And I want to read this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles. Does he exalt himself? Does he, I would say, I mean, honestly, history would probably record. And it's not a comparison, but I understand. If you just say, who's the most influential New Testament figure of Christianity? Peter, certainly God used greatly. John, he used these we know of. But Paul, 
right? And I don't think there'd be an argument with that. And, and, but he says, he says of himself, I'm the least of the apostles. He's not putting on, he's not putting poor mouth in like he wants to get attention and get sympathy, right? No, Paul, you're the greatest. Uh, he didn't do it like that. He just said, I'm the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He was serious about this, okay? But again, but thank God I obtained mercy. Thank God I am what I am by his grace. But he saw himself rightly. Unto me who am less, this is Ephesians 3.8, unto me who am the least of, the, of all the saints. So first he says I'm the least of all the apostles. Now he's saying unto me who am the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm the least of the apostles. Not worthy to be called an apostle, but God called me one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, right? God called me that. There's something very profound here and very important to see that as Christians, we not, ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. If we'll humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. If we lift ourselves up, it's not glorifying to God. A false humility that might fool a lot of people that's really not humility but pride because you're still trying to draw attention to yourself or myself, that's not pleasing to God. If we lift ourselves up, he is going to find a way, however severe he deems it necessary, to knock us down. Not to reject us as his child, but to deal with that pride and knock us down. And I can tell you it's a whole lot better to humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up when he's ready. In due time. I think he should have lifted me up five years ago. He doesn't. He doesn't think he should have been lifted up five years ago. He's going to lift you up when he's ready to lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's a whole lot better to do that than lift yourself up and have the Lord knock you down. Amen? And here's Paul. He's not putting on. He's not trying to win an election by acting humble. He really is humble. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. And then here he says, I'm chief of sinners. You know what that means? Chief, that word chief means? Of whom I am chief. I'm the chief of all sinners. It means first in rank. He's at the head of the line. He's pushed himself to the front of the line. All the sinners gather over here. And Paul gets to the front of the line. I'm, I'm the number one sinner. That's what he's saying. It means first in rank. It means a foremost among sinners. Paul's saying, I'm foremost among sinners. Again, this is a godly trait if it's genuine, all right? And in Paul's case, it was genuine. You know where else we see that in the Bible? We see it all through the Bible with godly men that God went on to use. Did God use Paul? Yes. He, was, he stayed humble. God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Lest he get exalted, he wasn't. But lest he should get exalted because of the abundant revelation he got that everybody didn't necessarily get. God gave him that to buffet him. But when our eyes are open to God, when, we're, when our eyes are open spiritually and we're recipients of the mercy and the grace of God, then we are more clearly able to see him and we're more clearly able to see, ooh, I'm not nearly what I thought I was. Okay? It's a good thing, by the way. It's not self-esteem 
our esteem is only in Christ. We esteem Christ and the riches of Christ. But where else do we see this in the Bible? Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah says, I was, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord, okay? And he, he says, woe is me for I am undone. Now, Isaiah was no more of a sinner at that moment than he was five minutes before. But he saw it more clearly, right? In the light of this God of grace, in the light of his holiness, he saw himself. He says, oh, I'm undone. Peter had walked with the Lord for some time. But when he sees the Lord multiply those fish in the net and they pull this huge load in the boat and the boats are sinking, two of them, because they have so many fish, he turns to the Lord and turns away from the fish and says, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Well, he wasn't any more a sinner than he was 30 seconds before. But he saw it more clearly. He saw it more, more rightly. And it's a good thing to see ourselves rightly like that. It helps us stay humble before God. It helps us be dependent and acknowledge our dependency upon Christ for his mercy and for his grace. Amen. Uh, the publican, I know it's a parable, but Jesus said the Pharisee and the publican went to the temple to pray. And the publican did not even look up to heaven. He looked down and beat his, on his breast and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And so God's grace and mercy, one of the things it does, it helps us to appreciate God's grace and mercy more. Because we see who and what we were before we came to know the Lord. So the, the, this blasphemer and persecutor and injurious received grace and mercy and the Lord changed all that. And made him a, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just a couple of more thoughts here tonight. A true Christian never tries to justify his past life. We don't see one ounce of that with Paul. In other words, he, Paul doesn't say, you know, it wasn't really that bad. And here's why I did this. He does say it was ignorance and unbelief, but he doesn't use it for a cloak, okay? We should never try to excuse our past sinfulness, our sinful lifestyle that we lived in. And maybe you got saved as a child, and praise God, you didn't have time to sow a lot of uh, wild wickedness into the world and into your life. But still, uh, someone that's truly saved doesn't try to justify their past life and doesn't try to minimize their own sinfulness. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're sinners. We're vile. We were enemies of God before. The Bible says before we were reconciled to God, we were actually his enemies. Okay? We were uh, in filth. And, and morally speaking, like not, not that you had committed every sin that's in the book, but still we're sinners and separated from God, and we shouldn't try to minimize it. We also shouldn't long for that life that we had before. You ever heard somebody share a testimony? It almost sounds like they, they, they wish they were back in that life and had more fun uh, doing that life before they knew Christ. Don't ever, we ought not do that. Be thankful for the grace of God. The more consecrated we become, the more spiritually minded we become, and the more we come to an acknowledge and appreciate uh, the grace of God. We acknowledge to God our dependency upon the Lord. As we grow in Christ, we are becoming more like Jesus, but we don't become more uh, self-sufficient. 
the, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you're going to realize, I need him more today than I did yesterday. I need him. I'm about to preach, and I, I preached for 25 years. I need him more tonight than I did 25 years before. We, need, we realize that more, and it's a good thing. Amen. It keeps us on our knees before the Lord. Now, I'm going to close with just this thought here. All other religions, you can put them all together. All other religions tell a man what he must do in order to win God's favor. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, okay? And this is how you win God's favor, whatever the religion is. The gospel, and Paul says, the Lord kind of be faithful, put me into the ministry and he, into the, to preach this gospel, okay? The gospel tells, tells us that we're all sinners. It tells us that we, we could do nothing to save ourselves. But Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we have only to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Philippian jailer was about to take his own life, right? When Paul and Silas... Uh, you know, we're freed from the prison. The Lord sent an earthquake and opened it up. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't tell him a list of things. You got to do these things. This will appease God. This will please God. This, will, this is what he wants from you. This will make up for your wrongs. Do this. Give this. He is saying, the gospel tells us Christ did it. Believe upon him. Believe on him that justifies the ungodly. You're ungodly, the gospel tells us. I'm ungodly, the gospel tells me. He came to justify the ungodly. It's different than all other messages. It truly is good news. We believe it, uh, the work that Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. And I'll close with this. Indeed, you can come in Romans chapter 4. That whole chapter about faith and the faith of Abraham, it says, But unto him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Amen. Paul was so excited, y'all. In the next, next uh, lesson, next Wednesday, if we're not raptured before then, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. He just burst forth into praise. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He's just overjoyed thinking about the grace and the mercy of God. Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight.